Welcome to this week's sermon from Heights Worship Center. We believe God has something for you today. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. You know, testimonies are an important part of church life. And so if you get the invitation by Annie to come and open our service and do all that, we feel we want to encourage you to share testimonies. Tell us what God is doing in your life because your testimony builds our faith. Amen. Somebody here had to make a billion and expect. Now you can see what God did for John. He can do it for me. If he did it for one, he could do it for me. Come on. <laughs> and then also, it's funny because we sang the song, I Thank God, Hell Lost Another One. So I got a text yesterday from Peggy. And she said, Don, hell lost another one. I just led my coworker to Jesus. And not only that, you may not realize it, but hell's been losing some because we have Sister Fina in the back. She just got saved a couple of weeks ago through Teeth of Joy. That's our new sister in the Lord. Sister Fina's in the house. Hell lost another one. I don't know if you know it, but I mean, we got Grandma Terry. You may not know Grandma Terry, but she's Shirley's mama. And I'm telling you, we're just so glad that she's here. And of course, Memo. I'm telling you, God is doing something. You weren't here, Memo, but we loved your video for Light the Night, bro. <laughs> and then I don't know if you've noticed, but things are kind of looking a little different. Hey! We're not done, but we're getting there. And just as I encouraged you last week, if you pray about it and the Lord puts it on your heart, you can sew in and help us with our renovation projects. We still got new things. This is only phase one. We have dreams for phase two. There's some dreams that we want to invest in. And if you would feel led by the Lord, just memo building. And uh, it would help us to put in those things. And so I'm excited. God is doing a new thing. Tell your neighbor, get ready. Because if you ain't ready, you're going to miss it. Because God's doing some new things. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited because the old gets boring. I'm not saying if you're old, you're boring. I didn't say that. I said old things, and it's just the same old, same old, same old. We get stale, predictable, but Jesus is not stale, and Jesus is not predictable. The move of the Lord is always fresh and always new. And I just want your hearts to be so hungry for what God is doing. My heart's desire is that there's just something you're like, man, I can sense it. I don't know what's coming, but I want to be ready, God. I want to be ready. God is doing a new thing. Father, we thank you that you never get tired of us. In fact, your word says that you are the creator from everlasting to everlasting. You do not grow weary. You do not slumber or sleep. Even young men go, get tired and old men get tired, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And today we're coming to wait upon your spirit. We just want to come and wait upon you. We want to linger in your presence today. We just want to breathe in deep. Can you just do that? Breathe in his presence this morning. Breathe him in and just release. Whew. Lord, we receive peace. We receive strength. We drink deep of your presence. You're what we need. We don't need another fancy slogan. Lord, we don't need a new design or marketing. God, we need your presence. We need a word to hold on to as an anchor for our soul in the times we're living in. God, we need you. And as we hear your word today, speak to us, Holy Spirit. 
We thank you that you're here, very present in every one of us, and you are still speaking. Give us ears to hear today, God. Open up ears, open up eyes. We want to know you more and more. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, we're going to continue talking about how God helps us overcome. And we talked last week about how God helps us overcome suffering by giving us the example of Jesus Christ, how he himself suffered. And he was not afraid to take the emotional impact of suffering into the presence of God. That he would even cry out to God with loud tears and loud cries. He didn't hold back how he was feeling, but he knew what to do with his emotions. He wasn't led by his emotions, but he took his emotions to the presence of God. Now, if you just remember that, you can go home and have something to hold on to this week. But there's more. See, we as a culture, we tend to be led by our emotions more and more. Emotions are not sinful. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are God-given. And God cares about our emotional health just as much as he cares about our spiritual health. Our mental health, our physical health. God cares about every aspect of our wellness and our well-being and our health and wholeness in Christ. And so that's why it's so important that we continue to put our focus on Jesus who modeled for us how to live in a world that is full of pain and suffering, injustice, and know how to process all that we encounter, experience, and go through in the presence of Jesus. You can go to the presence of the Father and find everything you need there. But that takes intentionality. Because if we're honest, when we're going through difficult times, unless you've trained yourself to go to God first, we tend to go to other things first. We tend to deal with our difficulties in different ways but we have something available, available to us through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that gives us something in this time and age. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I hope you brought your Bibles. If you remembered, good for you. If you forgot, there's grace. There's a next week. There's grace. You can remember next week. If you need a Bible and don't own one, I'll Amazon you one. Just let me know. Okay? I will send you a Bible. We got Bibles in the back, actually, but if you forgot, it's okay. There's grace, but I'm just going to bring it up because every week I want us to get used to bringing our Bibles, all right? John chapter 16, we're going to be in John chapter 16, verses 32 through 33. This is what Jesus said, but the time is coming, indeed, it's here now. When you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, read it, because I have overcome the world. Read it again. Because I, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is during the night of the Last Supper before he would be betrayed unto death. And he even said to them, look, there is a time that's coming. You will leave me. You will abandon me. I will be alone, but I am not 
alone. See, in our times of pain and suffering, it has a tendency to make us feel isolated. Pain draws our focus inward. We become very myopic and nearsighted, and we think about our situation, our pain, and our suffering, and the devil will come and say, nobody understands. It's only you. You're by yourself. You're all alone. If God loved you, then why are you here? And a lot of times, as I talked about last week, one of the coping mechanisms we have as humans is fight or flight. And so we flight, we flee, we run, we hide, and we isolate ourselves. And Jesus was about to become isolated and alone, not by his choice, but by the reality of what his closest friends would do. And yet he says something very profound. He says, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now, you brought your Bible, you should underline that sentence. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I am not alone because the Father is with me. You know, there's something when you underline your Bible, because then when you go looking for that verse, it makes it easier to find it, number one. Number two, when you read it again, it sticks out, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I don't know about you. Have you ever been like, I know I read somewhere in the Bible, and then you're like looking and trying to find and trying to find it. I know it's in here somewhere. We have Google now, but when I was, you know, a young person, we didn't have Google, so I had to really find it. And one of the things that I found helped me is when something sticks out to me as an important scriptural truth to highlight it, to underline it, to mark it. And if it's really something like a word in due season, I'll date it. So that when that time comes and I read it again in the future, I remember what I was going through and I remember the promise of the Lord. And I can rejoice at the fulfillment of that promise or I can still hang on to, you said it, God, I believe it. So Jesus found himself alone. All of us go through periods of loneliness in life. It's part of the reality of the curse of sin. All of us will struggle with loneliness at one time or another in our life. You can be in a room full of crowded people and feel alone. You can be married and with kids and feel alone. You don't have to be single and living by yourself to feel alone. Because loneliness is not just conditioned to one kind of circumstance. Loneliness is a human condition of the heart. And Jesus found himself in a place of loneliness. And yet, I love what he said. You're all about to abandon me. My closest friends are about to leave me. I'm going to be alone. Yet, I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. Can you just say that? Yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. You need to have this truth memorized. You need to have this truth in your heart because when the enemy comes and says, you're all alone, you can say, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I'm not alone. Jesus understands loneliness. I'm not alone. The Father is with me. Because loneliness is one of the things that will keep us defeated. It will keep us in a place of darkness. It'll keep us in a place of despair. But even if I'm alone and nobody's standing with me, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And his spirit lives in me. I love how Jesus, he was just so real. He's like, I already know what's going to happen. I love you guys. I washed your feet. I showed it to you. I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this 
so that you may have, read it, peace in me. Underline that, peace in me. Why? Because real peace is not in a situation. Peace is the person of Christ. Peace is found in Jesus. You can have peace in me, in Christ. Peace is not when everything's going smooth. Peace is not when everything is worked out and all the situations are done and you have an idea of what's going on. No, real peace is in Jesus. Jesus showed us how he lived in that place of peace when they were in the storm on the boat and the waves and the wind were crashing the boat and these experienced fishermen were afraid for their life. They said, we're going to drown. They found Jesus. He was sleeping. And they said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We're going to die. Jesus was sleeping. I love it. Jesus just gets up and he's like, don't you understand? Peace be still. I'm telling you, peace is in Jesus. When you don't feel like you have peace, go to Jesus. When you feel like you don't know what to do, go to Jesus. When you're struggling with questions and unknowns, go to Jesus. Tell your neighbor, go to Jesus. Before you reach for whatever you reach for in those moments, Reach for Jesus. Before you pick up your phone, reach for Jesus. Reach for Jesus. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, I love Jesus' honesty. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Just like I said last week. Pain and suffering is a reality of the human condition. And just because we serve Jesus and obey Jesus doesn't mean we're exempt from difficult times. If anything, the enemy of our soul wants to come and make things harder for us so that we will abandon Jesus. So yes, as Christians, we will have difficult times. We will go through things that are not right, not fair. We will have things happen to us that are beyond our control. As Jalisa mentioned, we're studying about the life of Joseph. There was a lot of things outside of that man's control. But God never left him. And you read over and over, in the pit, God was with him. In Potiphar's house, God was with him. When he got thrown into jail for something he didn't do, it says God was with him. And when God finally promoted him, guess what? God was with him. So wherever you find yourself today, in a pit, in a dark place, feeling like you're enslaved in some way in someone's situation, if you feel like you have been falsely accused and thrown into prison, if you are finding yourself even in a place of promotion, God is with you. Jesus said, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart. Tell your neighbor, take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Why? Why do we take heart? Not because God's going to give you all the answers you want. Hello, do you know that God will not always tell you what you want when you want to know it? God gave Joseph a dream, but he didn't tell him the details. Because Joseph probably would have been like, nah, I'm good, thanks. I'll just be a farmer. I don't want to go through that. God will give you a word, but he won't always tell you what you're going to have to go through. But he will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. 
He's going to give you strength while you go through it. And you will suffer a little while. John read it in 1 Peter. After you suffer a little while, there's perspective there, a little while, then God will himself restore and strengthen and make you steadfast and firm. But we will have to suffer. The difference is, with Christ, we're not alone. With Jesus, I'm not alone. And you know how good that is? Because I may not have the answers, but I have the one who knows all. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is El Elyon, the God of the highest. He sees what I don't see. He knows what I don't know. So even if I don't know, I can rest safely in the truth that he's God. He's good. He loves me. He's working it all together for good. And after a little while, he's going to come through for my good. I don't have to go through it alone. He's with me. He's with me. Come on, say that. He's with me. You and I need to live like we believe that. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I start acting like I don't believe it. You want to know how it looks like to act like you don't believe it? When you start freaking out. You got to remind yourself, whoop, pause, hold up. I can give in to what I'm feeling, freaking out fear, stress, anxiety, or I can stop and remind myself that I have Jesus. And because I have Jesus, I'm not alone. Because I have Jesus, I can have peace in the middle of this difficult situation. I have the one who is the good shepherd who promises to lead me step by step in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because he is with me. He never leaves us. God is with you. See, Jesus lived secure in the love of his father. I don't have it here, but in John chapter 17, oh, you got your Bibles, me too. We can just go right there. It's, 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 on, it's almost on the same page for me. John chapter 17. <laughs> That's why you bring your Bible. See, I brought my Bible. Let me find what I'm looking for. Google, <laughs> John chapter 17. Let me see, let me see it. Here we go, chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who, are, who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you, tell your neighbor, that's you. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, look at this, and that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. If you don't have that underlined, you should underline that. Father, I want these whom you have given to be with me. Verse 24. I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can all see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue 
to do so, then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Jesus said, the same love that I have confidence and security in, the love of my father, that love that's in me, I want them to know that same love. Where I rest and abide in the safety of closeness and love with my Father, that's what I want my disciples to experience. I want them to be where I am. In John 1.18, it says Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. So where does he want us to be? In the bosom of the Father. He wants us, like a little child, to be safe at peace in the arms of a very strong, loving Father. Where everything else is going cray-cray around him, but you're just at rest because you're in the arms of the Father. Jesus said, I want them to know that you love them like you love me. Jesus was secure in his father's love. And Jesus desired, he even prayed that you and I would grow in our understanding, deep heart knowledge of the father's love. That we would also come to a place of being secure in God's love for us. And I want to focus on that this morning. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You probably know this verse by heart, some of you. I preached on it last year. A a long six-week service on it. But we're going to just review. Review. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 and following, it says, And we know that God causes everything, say that, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. So good. You're chosen and you're called. You're wanted. Come on. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. That means he gave you relationship with him. And then that wasn't even good enough because after giving them right standing, he gave them his glory. Can I just share with you something I'm learning? An aspect of the glory of God is his love. His love glory. He got the love glow for you. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Come on, read the next line of this verse. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Paul is saying, look, God works everything for good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. And you know you're called because he chose you, he called you, he justified you. In other words, he made you right with God and he gave himself his glory to you. He's like, so come on, think about this. Marvel at it. Don't take it for granted. If God is for me, who can be against me? I don't care how powerful they are. I don't care what their schemes might look like. I don't care how little I might seem like. If God is for me, who can be against me? Man, when Israel was sitting there on the promised land after 40 years of miraculous provision, they get a chance to spy the land. Twelve of them go in. Ten come out and said, we look like grasshoppers compared to the giants in the land. It's good like God said. It's good. The fruit's huge. It's amazing. The land is everything God said. But we are so small. 
We're like grasshoppers. And there were two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who were like, who cares how big they are? We got God on our side. Let's go and take them out. Unfortunately, oh, they hadn't been in the desert yet 40 years. They're about to be in the desert 40 years. Let me correct my story. Sorry. The 10 convinced the whole nation to disobey God and not go into the promised land. Then they got to hang out for 40 years. Actually, that whole generation died in the desert. They didn't even get to experience the promise of God. Because why? They viewed themselves compared to their problems instead of viewing God compared to their problems. I just, you know, when I do this, I just want, like, say la, let it sink in. The problem was they viewed themselves in proportion to their problem instead of viewing God in proportion to their problem. Joshua and Caleb are like, yeah, they're huge, but God. (laughs) And the other ten were like, they're huge, we're little. If you compare yourself to your problem, you're always going to live defeated. If you view your problem in view of yourself, that's a perspective that will keep you locked up, struck down, defeated, discouraged, and without hope. But if I learn how to look at my problem and go, hmm, you ain't nothing compared to my God, then my perspective shifts. Because no matter what I go through, I know that God's going to work it all for good. So even if it doesn't get fixed right away, I can persevere in hope because God promised he's going to work everything for good. Even if it takes 14 years like Joseph, he's going to work it all together for good. Keep reading. Let's go. Verse 35. So excited. I love scripture. You know what? We'll just read all of it from 31 because it's good. If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Verse 32. I love this. Oh, my goodness. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Underline it. Highlight it. Write it down. Memorize it. If God did not spare his only son, why do we think he's holding out on us? Why do we question where he's at? God, if you love me, I wouldn't be stuck here. God, if you really were good, we wouldn't be going through this as a family. Why? Because now I'm focusing not on God. I'm focusing on my problem, my situation, my past, my strongholds. But if I would shift my focus, God, you didn't withhold Jesus Christ, your only son. You love me so much that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. If I live secure in the love of God, then no matter what I'm going through, I believe that he will not hold out on me. Because if he didn't hold back his one son, won't he give us everything else? Tell your neighbor, everything means everything. Some of you need to say it with some attitude. Everything means everything it means everything there is not a little fine print where there's a little clause that says except for these provisos provisions and everything means everything let's go 33 so who dares accuse us when God has chosen who dares accuse you if people mock you for standing for biblical truth in the day and age we live in who who cares 
get canceled, get blasted. If God is for me, cancel me. I don't care. You, you can't do nothing. You can't, can't touch this. I know, it's there. You just can't help yourself. Can't touch this. Okay, Dawn, focus. All right. <laughs> Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Everybody say, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? You were a little slow, but you got there. Thanks, Mike, for helping out. One more time, one more time. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. So Jesus is even standing right next to God the Father praying for you right now in this moment. Wow! Jesus is praying for you in this moment. He knows what you need. And even when you don't know what to pray for, he knows exactly what to pray for. And even the Holy Spirit earlier in Romans 8 says he's praying for us. So don't worry if you, if you don't know what to pray. Praise him instead. Lee's praying for you. You praise him. I don't know what to do, God. I don't know how to pray. Good, praise him. But I worship you because I know you're working all things together for good. I know that you are for me, not against me. And I know that no matter what the enemy thinks he's got up his sleeve, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I know that eventually I'm going to see breakthrough and I'm going to see you come through. So I ain't going to give up. I'm going to worship you. Don't be afraid to scream and shout because it just tells the enemy, ha ha, you lose. My best friend Jen and I, that's what we do. We, we say, man, I'm, this thing is happening. Ha ha, devil's a loser. That's what we just say. We go, ha ha. Yeah, like we recognize we're in the midst of something, but in the midst of something, ha ha, the devil loses. He's a loser. I'm in the fight, but I'm already laughing because he's a loser. Come on, the book of Psalms says God got the last laugh. I might as well join him. <laughs> Everybody go, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. Let's go, 35. Whew. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted, hungry, destitute, in danger? Or threatened with death? Isn't that what we question when we go through challenges? God, do you really love me? Can I really trust you, God? We can sing it. I trust in God till I get home and see the bills piled up. And I wonder, will you fail me? Where are you, oh God? This says, even though you're going to go through difficult times, it's not because you're separated from the love of Christ. The devil will tell you, oh, you must have messed up. You're out of God's favor. Oh, he ain't with you. He's left you. Oh, he must not love you. He doesn't care. 
But this is saying just because you find yourself in calamity and trouble and persecution and hunger and destitution and danger or even threatened to death, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Come on, look at verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. What is the, you got to see that through Christ who loved us. Jesus was secure in the father's love. He could embrace the cross because he loved the father and the father loved him. In his security, he could face loneliness because he knew he was not alone. The love of the father that Jesus lived in provided him everything he needed to go through all the pain and suffering and yet come through victorious on the other side. And that's why he prayed that we would know the same love. The same love that God has for Jesus is the same love he loves you with. The same love. That's why Paul says, don't think that trials and troubles and temptations and loneliness are separating you from God. No. You have security in his love. Look at verse 37. So does it mean that we're separated from the love? I love how he says, no. No. Despite all these things. Despite Joseph being thrown into prison, despite Joseph getting falsely accused of rape, despite Joseph being betrayed by his family, in all these things, despite debt, despite addiction, despite challenges, marriage problems, kids who aren't walking with the Lord, despite whatever you might be going through, what does it say? Overwhelming victory is ours Through Christ who loves us. So when you and I are going through challenges, the first thing we need to remind ourselves is God loves me. Is it really that simple? Yeah. Yes, Jesus. You learn it as a little kid and you better hold on to it in your adulthood because that's when it gets shaken. When you're little, you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. Everybody loves me. I'm cute. You know, Do you notice that most little kids don't struggle in the area of feeling secure in love. It ain't till we get older and we get knocked around a little bit. Overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loves me. You can take scripture and make it personal. Overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loves me. Come on, just say that. Overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loves me. It's a good word. So when I'm going through it, I need to remind myself that he loves me. When I'm confused, I need to remind myself that he loves me. When I am in a situation that's not right, I need to remind myself that he loves me. When I'm still struggling in an area, I need to remind myself that he still loves me. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. That's your battle stance. That's your battle stance. <laughs> he loses. Ha ha. Because I'm a love child of God. Mm, mm, mm. 
Verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing, not a zilch, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. If you're not convinced, ask the Holy Spirit to help you become convinced that nothing can separate you from God's love. It gives us a list just in case you're not sure. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No matter what the devil throws at you, he cannot separate you, take you out from the love of the Father. He can get you to doubt the love of the Father. He can get you to question the love of the Father. He can get you to say, I don't really know if I believe that, but he cannot separate you from the love of the Father. So don't give in to doubt. Don't give in and question whether or not he loves you. You must believe, be convinced that in all things, at all times, I am loved by God. Oh, my friends, if you could believe this from the bottom of your heart and live this, it would change the way you go through different stuff. Because overwhelming victory is ours. Remember that? Verse 37. Through what? Christ who loves us. Look at verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Live secure in God's love for you. The same love that God had for Jesus is the same love he has for you. Don't believe just because you're going through challenges and difficulties that he doesn't believe, that he doesn't love you, he doesn't see, he doesn't care, he's distant, he's apathetic, whatever. You got yourself into it, get out. (laughs) That's not how he is. Worship team, come on up. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12. I'm going to pick up on part of verse 1 because it talks about how we need to run the race with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Who do we keep, keep our eyes on? Jesus. If you get your eyes off of Jesus like Peter, you're going to drown in the wind and the waves. If you keep your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to be like the 10 spies who couldn't fathom that God could actually do what he said and they died in the wilderness. Don't die in the wilderness, y'all. There ain't no reason why you should die in the wilderness. He's bread of life. He's living water. Keep your eyes on One more time. Keep your eyes on. Who is he? He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's a champion. I like this translation. He's the champion. He's a, he already won. Ha <laughs> ha, devil, you lose. He already won. He is our 
our champion. He initiates your faith. He gave you faith. Not only that, he will perfect your faith, strengthen your faith, empower your faith. So when you're going through it and your faith feels a little weak and nobbly, Jesus. 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 I'm struggling. Jesus. There's stuff going on. Jesus. Help me to fix my eyes on you, the champion of my faith, the one who died and rose again, the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, the mighty man of war. Jesus, my best friend and good shepherd. Jesus, the one who is closer than a... Jesus. Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Look at what it says. This is our example. We do as Jesus do, right? He goes on to say this. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think, think, think. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about all the pain and suffering and hostility he endured. He did it because he knew, A, God loved him. B, he loved you. C, he wanted you. So D, he died for you. And he ain't dead. He rose again so that you could know him and believe in him and be secure in his love. Stand up. I love you. Stand up. He didn't focus on what he went through, his pain and suffering. He focused on the other side of it. This is what you and I need to learn, guys, because I'm not really good at this. I've got to learn better. When we go through challenges and difficulties and pain and suffering, we tend to get all focused up. This is all we can see. My problems, my emotions, how I feel, what's going on. It's like right here. And we got to learn how to get that out of the way so we can fix our eyes on Jesus. He didn't focus on, well, my disciples are going to desert me. I'm going to be all alone. Everybody's going to leave me. I'm going to be beaten brutally beyond recognition. He didn't focus on those things. He focused his eyes on God, the Father who loved him and gave his life. He, he says, that's, the, that's why I'm going to give my life because my Father loves me and I love them. And so I'm going to give my life so that they can be mine. You and I can look beyond our pain and our suffering and our loneliness and our challenge and we can fix our eyes on Jesus because you're going to work all things together for good. And even in this, I know you're with me and you're for me and I'm not alone because you're here with me and you will give me everything I need to overcome through the love of Jesus in my life. So I receive your love. Come on, I want you to lift your hands. I just want you to receive the love of the Father. John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in my love and let my love abide in you. Then you will produce fruit. We need the love of the Father to come in this place. Right now I ask in agreement with the prayer in Ephesians that the eyes of our heart would be open, that we would know you more. I ask that we would come to grasp as all the saints should how wide, how deep, how long, and how high is the Father's love for us, even though it's way beyond our comprehension God that we would be filled to the fullness of Christ that we would receive your love we receive your love 
Lord, I pray for a revelation of love right now. Come on, I want you to focus on how much he loves you. Focus on how much he loves you. If you have been focusing on your problem compared to yourself, you need to repent. And you need to say, God, this problem is too big for me, yes, but for you, nothing is impossible. And I know you love me and you're for me. You're not against me. So who can be against me if my God is for me? Overwhelming victory is mine because you love me. So in this moment, you need to take your eyes off your problem and say, God, you're bigger than that. So I want to fix on you. The great I am. Who was and is and is to come. He's with you. He's for you. He believes in you. He cares about you. Father, forgive us when we take our eyes off of you. Because all oh, like Peter, we flounder. Like Peter, we begin to drown in what is going on around us. But we want to be secure in your love. The same love that you love Jesus is the same love you love us. Oh, that we would believe it, God. Come on, put your hands on your heart. Help us believe that you love us like you love Jesus. Help us to believe that you love us like you love Jesus. That no matter what we're going through, nothing can separate us from your love. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Visit us in person or online at hwcim.org.